Buenos días. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? How's your Spanish? Great. Um, I'm planning to, I'm not planning to use Spanish, although I have my phone set and everything to uh, use Google Translate in case I run into any problem situation. Um, I wanted to share a few of my the new idioms I learned over the past weeks, although I was warned that I shouldn't use those this morning because they're not appropriate. Um, but I know in this church, since your family, I will be excused because I'm learning, you know, culture and language and all these things, right? Uh, I was given the option also to preach in Arabic. I'm not going to do it for several reasons, but I'm just going to stick with English this morning. And <clears throat> before I start, I... Um, I realized that, you know, this is a big church and um, it's hard to get to know everyone personally. We come from a culture that we're very relational. So it's really hard to get to know anyone, everyone by name and last names. And I don't know, sometimes uh, you find people that share the same name and different last names. So it's really hard. And at the end, it's very confusing. But, um, but I decided that maybe this will be a great opportunity for me to share a little bit of my uh, journey, how do we get here, and what are we doing here. I'm just going to take a few minutes, minutes if you don't mind. <clears throat> and uh, so my wife, Sylvia, and I, who's here this morning, um, and I, we've been married for uh, almost 15 years now next month. So we're going to hoping to have a good celebration. Um, and it's sad, but I think this is the first time that we're actually going to celebrate our anniversary. Um, we were in the desert for um, almost a decade, so... There was not a lot of things to do to celebrate your anniversary. Um, rather, they go to the sand dunes and, you know, things like that. But um, so um, we're in Chicago, so I'm, I'm pretty sure there will be places for us to celebrate. Um, so as I said, for almost a decade, um, our family, we were uh, cross-cultural missionaries uh, serving in Central Asia and the Middle East, um, three different countries, uh, very difficult places to be at. Um, but we were blessed with the opportunity to take the gospel to those places. Um, we were in three different places because we were forced in each and one of them to move for different reasons. The first place we were in, in Central Asia, the political situations, um, and the fact that we were expecting um, our daughter at that point, Sylvia was pregnant, um, we were not allowed to have the baby in the country. Uh, it was un uh, unsaved. So the company, the mission agency we were working with, asked us to um, move um, out, and so we did. A few weeks later, um, due to this political situation, the project that we were supposed to join um, away from the city in a village in a remote place was uh, closed down because our leaders were kicked out of the country, escorted to the airport um, because of the work that uh, we were doing in that place. So um, as we got back to Costa Rica, we got an offer to move to a country in the Middle East. It is a country that it doesn't, it doesn't make it to the news anymore, but there is a, a destruction in that country. The war took over. Um, the Arab Spring hit uh, North Africa and that part of the world as well. We were there during part of that um, season when things were not going well. And uh, um, we experienced some, a few sufferings and situations and struggles that forced us to eventually move out of that country. But the great news is that um, there was only like 300, 500 believers in that country, and there is an existing church of almost 3,000 right now in the midst of the persecution and the things that are happening. God is moving, and for that we praise the Lord, and it was good to be part of that and what God is doing in the world. So out of that and the pain that we were experiencing, uh, with the left uh, strength we had within us, we were again asked to go to another Middle Eastern country, quite different from the previous one, um, country that has a um, lot of resources, 
Um, there is no poor people in that country. Um, it's located in the Gulf area in the Middle East. Uh, so we moved, and, um, but we also experienced a few things in that country, a family situation, uh, problems with our finances, um, and finally problems with a, a police in the country for you know, what we were doing in that place. We were forced to move again. Um, we got back to Costa Rica. We're from Costa Rica, beautiful place if you ever want to visit. Uh, it's a beautiful place to go to. And we thought that our ministry was, was over. We thought that we were hitting the end. This is it. Um, we wanted to have a simple, normal life. Um, we, I think we deserve it, and that's what we wanted. We wanted to be grounded in our country. We wanted our kids to um, you know, learn more about Costa Rica and their culture. But God had plans for us. So he was not over with us, and I'm glad that he was not done with me, with my wife, with our kids. So um, as we are in Costa Rica, Calvary is praying for us interceding for us for the future, and I got an invitation from the church to Pastor Johnny, who was the missions pastor at that point, where he said, hey, would you like to come and join us and work with the international community in Chicago and Oak Park and work alongside the church? So we, we, we pray a lot. We had all the options at that point, and finally got opened the doors. We got our visas, and we moved here this past January, where uh, when we started the Antioch process, we were here the first day that Pastor Todd at the point was preaching about the Antioch process, and we joined with you guys that process. And here we are now. And as I look back, you know, there's a lot of things to rejoice and to be grateful for. But one of those is that it's, it's you. Um, you know, in a year, we are getting to experience that this place is home and that we have a family with us, and for that, we're grateful. Praise the Lord for that. So... Um, let me just um, start, and during the past weeks, we've been looking at Jesus as the coming adventurer, as the coming king, the coming son, the coming comforter, the coming sin bearer, and the coming light. And today, today we'll close our Advent series by reflecting on Jesus as the coming joy. And it's joy, J-O-Y, not joy, although joy brings a lot of joy to my life. Um, so, but just keep that in mind as I, you know, mention the word through the message. Through the entire Bible, joy is a constant theme, and the Christmas celebration is not an exception. We read about it, we talk about it, we sing about it. I even remember having a conversation with my son Gabriel, who's here this morning, uh, over a month ago, with Christmas approaching and, you know, his wish list and all the things that he wants. I don't know, it's only in my house, but these days the kids want a lot of things, and they get excited about things, Fortnite, and I don't know what else. Um, so... But at home, we ask our children to help around the house, and we give them some errands, and, you know, we want the kids to get involved with the work that we do at home as well. And um, he was refusing to help, so I walk to his room, walk into his room, and I wanted to have, like, a son, you know, father-son conversation, very serious, and I said, Gabriel, you know, I want to talk to you. We've been asking you to help around, but you, you don't want to do it, and, but you have all this you know, this wish list and things that you want, I don't think that that's fair. I mean, what are we getting, Mom and I, in return from you? And he said, he said, Dad, I bring you guys a lot of joy, <laughs> period. And that was the end of the conversation. That was it. And all my parenting skills were just, that's it. I mean, I left the room and, oh gosh, I need to think through. What, a, what, what, a, what is happening? I mean... Just got one of our missionaries also around the theme of joy. That couple writes about joy in our family, and they give thanks to the Lord for that. Joy for um, creating shingles, too. Joy around the table. Joy of ministry. The joy in you, as they write to us here in Calvary. Um, 
Therefore, joy is a relevant subject in Christmas. We see the theme of joy in the Gospels as well. We see um, that when um, they speak of Christ's birth. For instance, in Luke's Gospel, we see how John the Baptist, while still in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, leaped for joy when Jesus approached while he's still in the womb of Mary. And the angels who announced Jesus' birth will claim joy to all the world. And the shepherds rejoice to see Jesus in the manger. It is a radiant message of joy through those first chapters in Luke. It seems that everyone who got in touch with the birth of Jesus experienced a deep sense of joy. And that is what Jesus came to bring to the world. A world that has been marked by sin, chaos, destruction, violence, and selfishness. This is the kind of world that Jesus burst into, a world that he came to change forever and a world that will never be the same. Jesus came to change our history and to fulfill God's love story for humanity and bring hope and everlasting joy. That's what he does. But if he's the joy of the world, if he brings and freely offers this joy, which by the way is true and you have to agree with me, why is it so difficult to hang on to it? Why is it so difficult to persevere in it, to keep at it? Is this something that we get to experience only during a season during the year? What happens when the gifts are unwrapped and we return to our normal life routines? As Christians, have we been called to live in joy as a lifestyle? If we lose joy, how do we get it back? How do we get back to a place of joy? This is the question that I would like to reflect on this morning. In order to do that, we'll be focused on Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9, where the Apostle Paul describes some of the dynamics about the joy he was able to cultivate and live out, especially during the darkest moments of his life. As we begin to explore this passage, let me provide you with a little bit of context. Paul brought this letter to the church in Philippi. In that city, Paul faced opposition and resistance when he was announcing Jesus as a true and one king. We read that in Acts 16. There's been a lot of debate regarding Paul's imprisonment. Uh, some scholars said that Paul was in prison waiting for his ex execution. Some other scholars said that Paul was just going through so many of his imprisonments. But the reality is that Paul is in a Roman prison when he writes this joyful letter. Whatever the circumstances, Paul has learned to be content. Through the letter, the concept of joy or rejoice, a constant theme, it appears about 16 times during the letter. The apostle insistently exhorts the church to rejoice, to have a posture of joy in the midst of the hardships, the struggles, problems, and anxieties they are experiencing. He urged them to rejoice. And that takes us to the passage in place this morning. The first thing that we need to remember is that joy is a command. We read that in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, he exhorts the church to rejoice. The word chido means to rejoice or to be glad. And the context here is not an option. It is not an option, it's a command. And therefore, we must obey it. Paul tells the Philippians that rejoicing must be an immovable characteristic in and through the lives of the ones that have placed their hope in Jesus Christ, his kingdom and his resurrection, and not on early, limited, and ephemeral things. Paul knows what he's asking. One thing is to ask someone to rejoice when things are going well in life. And the other thing is ask people to rejoice when they're experiencing suffering and struggles. Joy has to be part of our lifestyle as believers. We have to always rejoice. No matter what comes our way, there will be enough things to rejoice about in this life. Because at the end, it's not about us. It's not about you and me. It's about God. It's about what Christ did in the cross for us. 
Ultimate joy comes from the fundamental truth that Christ dwells within us and he is and should be the source of our joy. Then he says that we're not only to be rejoicing, but out of that place of joy, we should let our reasonableness known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. We read that in verse 5. What this means is that as we experience joy, as we rejoice, our gentleness, kindness, meekness, fair-minded should be known to everyone, not only among us here in church, but with the people outside in the world, even to those that treat us unfairly or in our own eyes don't deserve our gentleness. It is a matter of sharing what we received. Joy is not something that we get to experience ourselves only, but with others outside as well. And also to remember ourselves this morning that Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and we read that in Galatians. No matter what comes our way, we are called to respond with kindness and love. No matter the size of the waves, we still see it because our minds are not set in this world, but in the promise that the Lord will return, that He is at hand. He is at hand, and He will return with all His glory, not as an infant, as He did the first time, but with all His glory. Number one, Joy is a command. We have to rejoice. Number two, we have to give God our concerns. We read that in verses six and seven. In those verses, Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And seven, I'm pretty sure that you prayed this verse so many times. Uh, it, it was prayed for you or you prayed so, over someone else. Verse seven says, and the peace of God which repress all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pretty much what Paul is, say, is saying here is that, are you worried about your job, your business, the money you lost, the things that can be fixed, the unfinished task and work, the unpaid bills, or the bad news you just received this morning as you were coming to church? Whatever it is, Paul says, hand it off. God is in control. Trust me and not your circumstances. The Lord says, Instead of letting anxiety and stress consume you, just talk to me. I have it under control. But what do we do most of the time? We pray to the Lord. We surround our concerns. We tell the Lord the things that we're going through. We let it out. We say amen, and two minutes later, we are concerned and anxious again. At least that's been my own experience. And I was very convicted of this when I was going through the passage. It has been so many times in my life where I, did, where I didn't trust God. Do we honestly trust and believe that God is going to respond or take care of us? Do we believe that God of the universe, the creator, will listen to us every time we pray and do whatever is best for us and brings the most glory to him? Do we believe that? We worry because we don't trust God. James 1.6 says that when we ask, when we pray and we ask things to the Lord, we, ask, we have to do it with faith, otherwise we will not receive. When we stress, we live with anxious thoughts and freaking out, aren't we behaving like the rest of the world? If you agree with me let, me, let me ask you this. Why will the world desire to have the God that we have, you and I? Why will they desire to have the God that you and I have? If we're just living, behaving, and responding the way they're responding and behaving. Then verse 7 says that once we give our concerns and requests to God, His peace, which suppresses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, can you imagine experiencing that peace here on earth every day? 
where we are not ruled by our anxieties and daily concerns. I believe that we can start experiencing that peace when we understand that God is the one that has absolute control over our lives and circumstances. And as Pastor Gerald mentioned a few weeks ago, God has his best interest in mind for us, for me. But the challenge is not to some level another one. The reality is we want to be in control of our present and our future. And if there was a time travel machine, we would travel back in time to our past and we wanted to be in control of that too. It is the lack of control in most situations in our lives that produce anxiety, concerns, and a lack of joy. When we come to the realization that through earnest prayer and faith, seeking to intimate with God, to have a relationship with Him, and not a mere transaction, that the God who created us and the universe, the one who knows everything and offers peace, no matter the size of our problems and situations, then we will be filled with peace, peace that is not from this world, this is the peace that Jesus offers in John 14, 27, when he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So joy is a command. We must give our concerns to God. And number three, we have to focus on good things. We read that in verses 8 and 9. Paul closes with this declaration. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are the things that we think about all day? Where does our mind go? Because the things that occupy our minds, where our mind go, determines the response we give to our circumstances in our lives. Do we dwell with our minds on good things? Do we dwell on the type of thing that the Apostle Paul is describing in verse 8? Or do we dwell on our problems and circumstances only? We become what we think about. And it also becomes evident to the people that we are surrounded with. The people that we work with, our friends, neighbors, and family members. Does the people around you see you rejoicing? Do they see that peace that transcends all understanding when life presses hard on you or not. If we focus on good things, not only our lives and surroundings will be transformed, shaped, but our minds too. Let's look what Paul says in Romans 12 too. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, he says, change the way that you think. And the way that you live will be transformed. Let's set our mind and thoughts on good things. And I would like to take just a moment just to share a family story that we experienced in the last country that we're in. Um, we were three years in this country, and um, we felt convicted that it was time for us to move to a new city where God was moving, people was coming to Christ. There was only two families living in that city, and we kind of were invited to join. So um, we prayed over a year about it, and we finally ended up moving. Two weeks before the final move to that place, um, I was interviewing with a local guy um, to get a job. Um, I was changing jobs, and I needed to a work visa to be in that country. And as I am doing that, I drop uh, my family, my daughter, uh, 
um, my, my son and my, my wife into this commercial place to buy groceries. Uh, on my way back, I'm, I'm parking, I'm just parking into that place, and I got a phone call from my wife, and I can sense the stress and anxiety going through it. Um, and I said, what happened? He says, well, I don't find Gabriel. Gabriel is lost. And um, <clears throat> so I hang up on here, walk through, you know, the, the doors of this place, and I, I got into the first floor, and I can hear her running around the place with a security guy um, yelling um, his name, Gabriel, Gabriel. And as I'm doing that, I, I, I saw an Indian guy coming through the door, and I carried a picture of my family on my phone, and I said, listen, we're trying to find um, this boy. Have you seen it? And he said, well, there's been an accident outside. And I think that was a boy that was hit by a car. So I grabbed him. We ran through the uh, parking lot. We got into the service road where the accident took place. And this is a road that runs next to the highway. So, I mean, how he got there is it's a, it's a different story, but we don't have time for those, those details. But the thing is that he ran away from his mom, and he made it somehow through the parking lot, and then finally to the service road. And when I got there, it was only blood on the street. It was only blood, Land Cruiser next to it, bumper bended, light broken, and a guy freaking out, jump on me, the driver, and he says, it wasn't my fault, it wasn't my fault. He says, it's okay, I just want to know where my son was, because Gabriel was not there. Somehow he was taken, it's part of the culture, something happens, an accident, that person on the street will be taken to the hospital. So um, the police is asking, where were you guys? And so what I, do, what I did was that I, I, I asked the nice Indian guy that I just met, would you please go back? Uh, I'm going to call my wife. She's going to come through the door. Would you please bring her here? And he said, yes. Yeah. So um, I remember that Sylvia, um, you know, came to the place, and it was shocking just to see the blood. Where is Gabriel? I don't know where Gabriel is. As we are going through the dialogue with the police, an Egyptian guy comes into um, the place, and he says, I know where he was taken. Let me drive you there. So I stayed with the police and with the driver, and Sylvia went with, uh, Gabe, uh, with Abby to this clinic just behind the commercial place. There was a small clinic where he was taken. I finally arrived, and there is just blood coming through Gabriel's ear. He's alive. Um, he has bruises all over the place, uh, burned skin out of the impact on the street, um, and the doctors don't know um, what to do. He said, we want to send you to the bigger hospital in the city. So they did. And we finally got to the place, and they think that Gabriel has brain damage. And I just remember just taking a time and praying and said, God, I'm, you know, take my life. I will freely give my life for my sons. And it was traumatic. And I don't know how I started focusing on good things. Not about me. There's nothing I can do. That's a reality. There was no one to rely on. I went to my wife and I said, listen, this might sound crazy, but you know what? God is good. And he's always good. And our circumstances don't change anything a bit about God. You know, and I started confessing that in faith. It took more than my own strength. It was, it was the peace of God. But I decided to focus on God because that's where my hope was, in God, not in my circumstances. And no matter the outcome of that, I know that I will continue trusting God because what he has done in my life, because what he has done in, my, in, in our family, because we had, what he has done in the peoples that we were working with. A few minutes later, 
The doctor comes down and he says, you know, it is a miracle. We didn't know how to explain this, but he just have a small broken bone in, in his ear and that's where the bleeding is coming out. It took weeks for him to recover, months for us to also recover from that experience. But I focus on good things. We focus on good things. Finally, Paul says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know what? It's not enough, and sorry, to listen to a message, have a devotional every day, and do a mere intellectual exercise, or debate about the meaning of a passage, or memorize the scripture. Those are good things, don't get me wrong, and we should, and we have to do those things. But the reality is we've been called to leave the word out. The message of the word should lead to daily obedience, and that's the challenge for us this morning. That our lives are not ours. Our lives belong to God, in case you didn't know. In closing, I would like to share a story about uh, an eight-year-old boy whose parents got separated and eventually got divorced. His mom grew up in a very dysfunctional family in a small country in Latin America where she didn't know love, never learned to love, not to receive or give love. That led her in a path of suffering, surrounded by bad decisions and destructive relationships. His dad, on the other hand, grew up in a small family in Europe. He was very independent and with a very adventurous personality that eventually took him to Latin America where he met the boy's mother in a very unconventional uh, place for couples to meet. If you are familiar with the narrative describing Hoseas, this story has some elements to that narrative at, le at one level or another one. Out of that relationship, this boy came into the world. He was loved by his father, but with very conflicted feelings from his mother towards him. Love or hate, acceptance or rejection. As I mentioned before, his parents got separated and his mother returned to her old lifestyle. They moved to a small town on the Caribbean side of that country where there is a high concentration of crime, drugs, gangs, prostitution. So the odds started to go against this child's life. By witnessing his mother's lifestyle in the place he was growing up, this boy soon enough understood that his life would not be simple. That life was a difficult place to be at. Instead, he resolved to protect his little brother by taking upon himself the heavy load of the things he witnessed and experienced. Although he was a very busy and active boy, he never disrespected his mother, and he wished to honor her in every way. He thought to himself that if I can only be good and fulfill the expectations of my mom, she will love me in return. But all he ever got in return, her in return was disapproval, physical punishments, and rejection. But he never complained. There was not a sense of hope or joy in this boy's life. But things were about to change for this boy. One day, an unexpected visitor knocked at his door. A young man with a radiant smile showed up at, his at this boy's house. After introducing himself and conversing with his mom, this young man extended an invitation to the family to visit the church the following Sunday. The boy asked the mom if he could go, and against all the odds, his mom granted him permission to attend. That Sunday came, and the boy walked quite a distance. But he finally arrived at an Afro-Caribbean Baptist church. 
Immediately the boy was captivated by the songs, the smiles, and the joy of these people. He was dismissed to a Sunday school class where the gospel was presented to him. He believed the message of Jesus Christ, how he died for his sins, and the hope of the resurrection and eternal life. In a world that was marked by pain, chaos, lack of hope, and joy, Jesus burst into the life of this boy to change his life forever. That boy left church that day with a radiant smile, with a sense of joy so deep that no matter what was coming his way, he will endure it because Jesus promised to be with him every day until the end. He finally got to experience true love. His finally context didn't change. His mind didn't change until years later. He kept on experiencing pain and suffering, but he had the most powerful person in his life now. This boy's journey, journey, this boy's journey didn't end there. Years later, as a young married adult, God presented him with an opportunity to take the gospel to the other side of the world and to be a vehicle of hope, joy, and transformation to a specific group of people. The joy that was very characteristic in his life somehow shrunk in those places. He started to focus more on the work that needed to be done than in the, on the person who called him there in the first place. Suffering showed up, a civil war on stability, the kidnap of a colleague and the murder of a good friend got into his heart and somehow he allowed those things to overshadow his joy. He and his family were forced to move and relocate several times and slowly he got so focused on himself that he walked away from that place of joy. But God took him on a journey of healing and restoration where joy was restored by focusing on Christ knowing that the Lord is at hand and that life doesn't end here in this world. There is more. And I know the story very well, because this is my story. I was that boy, and I became that man. And this is the first time I'm sharing my story with pretty much anyone. My wife knows it, but I've never done that before. So um, this is family, so I feel comfortable sharing this with you this morning. I'm here with you this morning to tell you that if you walk away from a place of joy, true joy defined by a biblical perspective, there is hope that you can go back to that place. I'm a living testimony of that. Today, the Lord has an invitation for you. If life or personal situations made you walk away from that place, remind yourself today that joy is a command, that we must arrange our concerns to God and we have to set our mind in good things. Above all, we have to respond in obedience. Let's bring that joy to the world together as a church. Let's make Jesus Christ known in Oak Park, the surrounding areas, the world. If we have that joy, we must share it with the world. I want to invite you finally that life is not about pursuing the Costa Rican dream or the American dream, but it is about walking in a kingdom reality. That is true. That is eternal. Joy is eternal. And that is what is awaiting for us in eternity. Let us pray. Father, thank you that um, we can come with gratitude before you for what Jesus has done in the cross for us and the hope that we have in the resurrection, Lord. As I look back, Lord, and probably my brothers and sisters would agree this morning with me, Lord, we look back and we see your faithfulness, we see your love, 
We look back in January when 2015 started, Lord, and, and there is a lot of gratitude and joy for the things that you have given us, for your presence in your life, in our lives. And we can declare this morning, Lord, that you're good, that you're faithful, that no matter the circumstances we experience this year, Lord, we know and we can declare that you've been there with us. And as we enter into a new year, Lord, I pray that we together as a church, as carriers of that joy and hope for this world, as we've been called the the light and the soul of this world, Lord, I pray that we can get the word out, Lord, that we can be faithful to the places, the neighborhoods, workplaces where we are, Lord, the people that we know, our relationship, Lord, turn into an opportunity to share the gospel with people, Lord. I pray that 2019 can be a place of joy, a time to rejoice for what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord. I pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, my Lord, my King. Amen.